Morning. Well, we're in our continuing series on why love, and we've had answers from a lot of corners, from a lot of different voices in the New Testament, and this morning we are in Jude, and I'm telling you right up front because Jude is hard to find, it's just a page, and uh, the easy way is to begin at the back of your Bible and work forward because it's the book right before Revelation. So we're going to be looking at Jude this morning as we consider why love, and we're going to look at perseverance. Perseverance. This week uh, is Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday. Friday is what we call Good Friday. Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And I've been thinking about this week, those years ago, that there wouldn't be the question, why love? Because it's all about love. And it is love that is at the heart of Jesus sending and this week and his perseverance. Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. And it was in the shadow of Passover that Jesus knelt to pray. The cross loomed before him and Jesus had to persevere. And it was because of love that he did. It was because of love that he did. He asked his disciples to persevere with him. To persevere in prayer. I'd like us to look at Mark chapter 14. I'll read it to you starting at verse 22. As they were eating a Passover type meal, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, it's my body. And he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out, to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, 
I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here with me and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yea, not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. These were his disciples. He called them each, each and every one. He invested his life in them. He didn't have really any more opportunities to make them any better. At the moment, at the hour of his greatest need, when he's crying out to the Father, is there some way, but not my will, 
and his disciples can't stay awake with him. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's perseverance. The going was tough for Jesus. Never think that it didn't cost a lot to persevere, to go the distance, to go to the cross, to take the nails in his hands and feet, to be reviled, to be abandoned. Sometimes there are no shortcuts. We either finish the race or we quit. There's no in-between. The book of Hebrews asks us to think of Jesus who endured such hostility and opposition that we too may not grow weak and give up. Since, he says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let's also lay aside every weight. Let's also lay aside every sin that clings so closely and let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What possible joy could that be? Financial security? A new house? What possible joy could that be that he kept his eyes on? A yacht? A cabin? A second house? One on the ocean with a great view? We're not told what that joy is. But why did he die? What did he go to the cross to accomplish? Who was it for if it wasn't for himself? It was for us. It was for what love does, how it unites people, how it mends wounds, how it introduces new beginnings, how love makes everything different. When all is lost, it's all found again in love. Hope springs eternal from love. Joy, everlasting. Reunion, bright smiles, watery eyes of joy to be reunited. Because if there's any meaning in this world, if there's meaning for any life that's sacrificed for another, it has to do with love and other people. For the joy that was set before him, he persevered, he endured. 
set your eyes upon him. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. That's not the joy. He was seated there. He came from such glory. It's that we might be seated there too. We are weak. We are weak. We love the power of emotions. I was thinking this morning how when you think and remember things, when you remember what Jesus has done, when you reflect on what it cost him, when you set aside all the other things that so easily occupy and dominate our thinking, front and center, 24-7, but you set aside some time to ponder, reflect, to think, to glory in what God has done for us. It changes your emotional makeup. It changes your attitude. And you start to feel those things that you want to feel when you walk in here and you begin to gather with one another and the music starts to play and we begin to sing in chorus, in chorus. Ultimately, what we want is to sing in chorus because our hearts are blended and bonded and have become one as we focus our eyes, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who loved us to death and persevered to do it for the joy that we could know him and he could know us and that we could know one another and be called a church, an assembly. We are weak, but he is strong. And we know that because he persevered. He persevered. I was a distance runner. I can't run now because of a bum knee and too many surgeries. I don't even wear shorts anymore, it's so ugly. But I was a distance runner and used to run five miles every morning. I ran in high school, I excelled, but some days I just didn't feel like running. And I'd say to Coach Foskin, Coach, I'm feeling bad today. I'm feeling sick. And you know what Coach Foskin would say to me? Run it out. Run it out. I could have a head cold, a chest cold. Run it out. Run it out. There are no shortcuts because if you want to be a distance runner, a cross-country runner, you've got to be ready when race day comes. I mean, you can forge. We have to log our times, our miles. I could fake it. I could forge it. But it doesn't do me any good. Not if I want to compete. 
not if I want to complete the race. There are just no shortcuts if you want to be at the finish line. You have to prepare. You have to put in the hours, the miles, and go the distance. Jude's letter urges us in verse 4 to go the distance. He says, contend for the faith. Contend. That doesn't mean be irascible, to be cruel, to be nasty. He just is saying, don't be indifferent about it. Get your head in the game. Get in the race. The word contend is a really good Greek word that has to do with competition, to get in the contest. Paul uses it, and it's used here. In other words, don't sit on the sidelines, but compete. Not to win at any cost, not at the cost of other people, not to beat other people up so that you can be a Rocky, but to get in and expend the energy and to contest, be a part of the contest of living out our faith. That's what he's saying. Contend for the faith. And he warns us against bogus believers. Wolves in sheep's clothing were the words that Jesus used in Matthew 7.15. Jude tells us in verse 16 that these bogus believers turn, listen to this, they turn or twist the grace of God into a permissive ungodliness. So they know the lingo They can talk the talk, but they take God's grace, which is at the heart of the gospel, and they adjust it so that now it justifies a life that is ungodly rather than making us more godly. That comes from indifference to the reality of the gospel. That's when the words never leave the head, never make it to the heart, never finish the race. We hear it. We love to hear it. But what faith is, is putting those truths putting that love, putting that grace into action. That's contending for the faith. That's bringing the truth to life. Truth doesn't have a life unless it lives in me and lives in you. We, could, we love to hear the truth, but we don't even know if the people saying the truth live out the truth unless we're able to live with them and observe them, right? 
We can watch television. We can read the papers. We can recognize truth. But we don't know is if the people that are writing the truth, espousing the truth, are living the truth. That's not contending for what they believe. These bogus believers do not confess that Jesus alone is Lord because they have lots of other lords. They have lots of other authorities in their lives. Jesus is one in a constellation. He's a star in a firmament of stars, but he is not the star of stars to these people. Would they subscribe that Jesus is Lord? Maybe. But Judas saying, not alone. They don't live as though Jesus alone is Lord. In fact, he says, they grumble and find fault with anything that does not satisfy their desires. That's just, we're still in verse 16. They spout flattering ideas for their own prestige and advantage. So Jude is warning the church, warning us. He says these fakes will influence us and turn our eyes to things other than Jesus. The one who persevered in love the one who is the perfecter of faith and founder of faith, these people turn our eyes away from Jesus to other things. You see, they tempt us with a no-sweat, Jesus-free lifestyle that substitutes the rigors of faith and perseverance with promises of a no-sacrifice, all-you-can-eat diet of love yourself. And they say, look at us, we're doing it. But Jude gives us solid advice here to keep us in the race. I want to read verses 17 through 25 in Jude for us. Let me see. How was it we find it? Start in Revelation, work backward. Got it. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers or mockers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, they are worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to or brings eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others, by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with 
fear, and that would imply only the fear of God. So you can supply that in your thinking. The fear of God is a good thing. It doesn't mean to recoil because you're afraid or ashamed. The fear of God means that what we fear is what we put first and foremost in our lives. So the fear of God is the priority of the Lord. And what he's saying is, is that in some of these situations, you need to show mercy, but you need to be doing it with a sense of God's firm control on your life and lordship over it because it's dangerous waters. Hating even the garment stained with flesh. The garment is the under, it's the tunic actually. It's like the shirt, the t-shirt or the underclothing that you wear. He's saying, realize there's a certain amount of danger in this. Verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Why love? It's the power of perseverance. Vigilantly, he says, keep yourselves in God's love. Such a love, such a love that can only be what creates and sustains us when we have to persevere. In other words, we don't just break off and quit the race because our breathing is labored, we're sweating hard, our legs are rubbery, the pack is gaining on us, we're starting to feel the fatigue and we're not sure we can go the distance and win the race. But he says, vigilantly keep yourself in the love of God. Only that can cause us to turn back from things that would lead us like the bogus Christians, maybe not to deny, but not to recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Have you ever watched someone self-destruct? It's incremental. It's incremental. It doesn't happen all at once. This is a picture from my, from my freshman yearbook of high school. The two young men in the background, on the left is Tim and on the right is Chip. Just take a look at their faces. Kind of look into their eyes. Look at, look at the life that's ahead of them. Look at the energy, the prospects, the hope. 
Tim on the left is president of the freshman class. President. Ah, it doesn't mean much to us today. You know, it was back then and so forth. But boy, yeah, but that was a big deal to me. Tim was athletic. I'd, I'd know Chip and Tim since junior high. Chip going even back into grade school. Chip's dad, on the right, Chip's dad was a judge. And then even a higher judge, you know, a district judge appointed by Ronald Reagan. Tim, his dad was a pastor. I found Tim to be one of the meanest kids I knew in junior high. Chip went on to be an attorney, followed in his dad's footsteps. Tim went on to be in construction, beautiful wife and family. The guy had all the natural things, all the gifts, all the qualities to make it in this world. I kept in touch with Tim. We got along better and better. During that time, Tim was robbing banks up and down California and Oregon. Tim, president of the freshman class, is now in prison and will not get out. He was sentenced to a term of 137 years. Where do our lives go wrong? What is it that we do that... uh, It's those little things, those little incremental decisions. We're all going to make dumb decisions. We're all going to say things, do things. We're going to catch ourselves. We're going to repent. Didn't I say that last Sunday? We need to be repenting every day because we need to see those things that weaken and erode our perseverance, our faithfulness. Because when we entertain those things and we let them get down into who we are and begin to crumble and break up the decisions of our life to say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. And pretty soon it just becomes quite porous and brittle. And it doesn't stand for much. Because we just go along on two tracks. We've got our church track and our daily life track. So you have a kid like Tim who has so much going for him, but it's, but the legacy that he's given, a father that is a, coming from a Christian home, where did that go? Are there families in this country that don't even model and raise kids to go the distance, to be devoted to the Lord? 
Jude gives us three things because there's one verb here in this pocket of verses 20 and 21. There's one verb, and that is to maintain or keep yourself in the love of God. And there are three modifiers, three ways that complement or give us advice as to how to maintain our love. And I want to walk through them very quickly. The first is build your faith up. That's what he says. Build up your faith in verse 20. Then he says, pray in the Spirit. And then he says, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait for the Lord. Wait, not as, gee, when's he going to show up? But the idea of an eager expectancy. I live in the expectancy of his return. I build up my faith through the little decisions that I make each and every day. It's, there's no other way to do it, really. Can you think of another way to build your faith? Unless you make choices and decisions based on that faith. Now, there are things that you can put your mind on that involve those choices and decisions. We can make decisions to go and be in certain places. We can make choices and decisions about what we're going to set our mind on, who we're going to get with. And there are ways that we can get involved more in things of the Lord that are going to build us up without ignoring the world without reaching out to others, without raising up one another, and without reverencing Christ together. There are things that we can be doing that build up our faith. We can get into an R group. We can get involved in junior high, high school ministry. We can get involved in women's ministry, men's ministry. We can go to our neighbor and tell our neighbor about the Lord. We can get involved in various ministries within the church that strengthen, build up our faith. I got an email this past week. This is a quote from the email, but I can't really vouch for the statistics, but it's still instructive. Every day, 60, 66% Glad it wasn't 666%. 66% of evangelical Christians are looking at Facebook every day. 39% are looking at YouTube. And 32% are opening their Bibles. I still think 32% is pretty good. I'm a hopeful, positive speak thinker. But really... You want to grow your faith? Open a gospel and read the gospel. Get reacquainted with Jesus. Observe what he teaches and what he does when he's around people. It's not hard to be inspired by Jesus Christ and to become well acquainted with Jesus' heart, with Jesus' words and Jesus' actions. Jesus is the revelation of God. He is the heartbeat of our faith. Build up your faith. Notice though, it says build yourselves 
not build yourself. In other words, he wants us to be doing this together if we all get involved in strengthening and building up our faith. Building up is done on a good foundation, and that foundation is Jesus. That's where the oneness and the love for perseverance comes from. Pray in the Spirit. In Ephesians 6.18, the Apostle Paul talks about pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul said, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes. That is, he gets involved. He takes our thoughts. He, he takes our pleas. He takes our worries and concerns. And he represents us. He intercedes for us. Is that not a beautiful picture do you realize you have a helper like that? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is called the helper in the Gospel of John? The comforter? Do you realize that we have the Spirit because Jesus has risen from the dead? If you know anything in your experience of a witness with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, You know the very presence of the triune God in your life. And you know that, and you have that. You have that. Because Jesus did not just die on the cross and was not just buried. End of story. He was raised from the dead. He ascended to the Father. He is seated in glory at the right hand of God. And His Spirit, the Spirit of the Son and the Father, the Spirit, the third person of the triune God, that Spirit indwells us and intercedes, represents us helps us to pray, helps our stupid prayers to become eloquent prayers, wrong-headed, selfish prayers to become beautiful prayers, that God's will might be worked out in our lives. That's what it says right there in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Pray in the Spirit. Pray as though you have a little juice, a little power, a little authority, a little weight in this world. We're not just victims, patsies, fools. The world can think that, but boy, the, the world has won if we think that. Build up your most holy faith. Pray in the Spirit. 
Don't act like those bogus believers, so-called believers, churchgoers that don't even know Jesus Christ. Don't behave like them when they are worldly and devoid of the Spirit. That's what he says. And third, he says, in God's love, wait for the Lord. Wait expectantly. In other words, hope. The word wait in the Hebrew Bible, part of our Bible, is translated either wait or hope. This word in the Greek language that Jude wrote his letter in means to wait with anticipation and expectation. Like when Shelley's water broke, I waited on pins and needles. Turned out to be all day, 10.22 at night. He was finally born. Sometimes we have to wait a little longer, but we can wait expectantly, knowing he will come. He will come. For some of us, I fear that we have lost sight of that real hope and belief. It's out there, but it doesn't figure in to our daily lives. The writer of Hebrews says that hope is an anchor that gives stability to our lives. It's an anchor for our soul. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Read Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, where we rejoice in sufferings. How could we ever rejoice in sufferings? How could he have the joy that was set before him to endure the cross? We rejoice in sufferings, Romans 5, 2 through 5, knowing it produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character strengthens hope. Read the doxology this week a couple of times, will you? And notice, our God is strong. We are weak. But in Him, we can be strong. Persevering in the love of God by building ourselves up in the most holy faith, by praying in the Spirit, by waiting expectantly for the mercy of the Lord that leads to eternal life. This makes us strong. And in verses 22 and 23, Jude says, you will be strong enough to help others. And that is another dimension of your perseverance. You will be merciful. You'll have the power to encourage, to lift up, and even to spare some people from spinning entirely away from the Lord. The Lord's Supper we do in remembrance of Him. Remembering is an act of the will. Forgetting is not. Forgetting comes from indifference. It comes from not caring, from not thinking. Do you know that God, in Exodus chapter 12, He instituted means of remembering. 
he instituted, he established the Passover that we might remember. In fact, he said, our children will one day ask you, why do we do this over and over and over and over again? And that gives us the opportunity to tell them about the grace and goodness and love of God. It was at Passover that Jesus gave his life, demonstrated his love. And it was at Passover that Jesus, in observing the bread and the cup, said to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me, that we might remember, that we might avoid becoming indifferent. Because you see, feeling, caring about, and knowing the love of God for us is what empowers our perseverance. And that's why this bread and this cup, if you have your bread and cup, is something we do often, often to remind us On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it. He said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. All of you drink it. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are not perfect. We are not worthy. You make us worthy by loving us at such a price. You make us count because you traded in a way 
your son to gain our love. We pray, Father, that today and tomorrow and throughout this week and with each step, incrementally, we might make choices and decisions of faith to love you more, to appreciate your great love for us. And we do this and ask this, praising you in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.